And so I thought, do you know what would be fun is if we got a sort of travel prayer room and we got this old school VW camper van. I've never prayed for an inanimate object so much in my life. I'm like laying on hands every <laughs> single time I wanted to try and start that thing, particularly during the winter. Mid getting onto the motorway, like the thing just started accelerating and then everything wouldn't stop. And I'm like, I had to turn the whole machine off. I, I went into the back of a van, but I was going slow enough. But I just bounced off the back of this white van. Welcome, everybody. This is Simon Gilbo with Inspired. I'm really excited this week to have another fantastic guest. Basically, if you're new to Inspired, it's all about amidst all the rubbish and the negativity that we're constantly bombarded with to, to, for you to be introduced to mates of mine from across the spectrum, all sorts of different walks of life who have got a story to tell. The aim is that you will leave in 50 minutes, whatever it is, more encouraged, more passionate in your faith, more willing to take the hard knocks that come to all of us and uh, that you'll keep on going. So that's what we're about. And this week, we've got a, a dear friend of mine called Miriam Swanson. Welcome, Miriam. Thanks, Simon. What a, what a good intro. I'm already inspired by Inspired. Brilliant, mate. So so Miriam, uh, some of you will know her uh, by her former name, which was Swaffield. She's now Swanson. She's had a busy few years of getting married in the pandemic, moving to America, having a baby. Uh, but uh, Miriam and I go back. Well, I don't know when we first met, well, we, I think we first met when you were an adult, but when you sort of, uh, in the youth group, or whatever, when I spoke at King's Road Church in Birkenstead. I was going to say, I remember you, but I was a sort of uh, 16, 17, and um, I just remember that being probably the first, uh, maybe the only time in our tiny little local church that I grew up in, where you did a call to like, I mean, it's likely to be radical, impossible faith, knowing you. Right. And, um, and, and the church ended up at the front responding. And I just remember thinking, I didn't think our church did that. Aww. Like got up on mass and all walked to the front and sort of dedicated our lives to the radical call of Jesus. So in some ways, Simon, uh, some of this story is probably your fault. Should oh, we say that? Brilliant. Well, I can't, I can't remember that, but, I t but there are, I've got a bunch of good mates there uh, as part of that church. In fact, a whole bunch of great people. And it's funny because we haven't sort of seen much, well, I've already seen you a couple of times in the last few years, but I was trying to track down your email. And uh, <laughs> so I found an old email address, but this is the only email address I'd found. So I had to WhatsApp you to get the new one. And this is what it said. So this is when, this is May 2018. Um, so we were both speaking at a conference. I think it was the YEC Youth Evangelism Conference. Okay, yeah. And, yeah. and, uh, and you were sick and grumpy and <laughs> feeling really rough. So I'd flown over from Burundi for it. I'd gone back and I wrote, <laughs> Hi, Miriam. Thanks for giving me your lurgy last week. All it took oh, no. was 10 minutes together and a little incubation later, I was snotty and grumpy like you. <laughs> no. Is that... Oh my gosh. Oh dear. Anyway. And that was before COVID. We, if anything, we pioneered the whole don't get too close with each other's personal space without wearing a mask. Because now, we, you know, there's the consequence. Uh, sorry well, you, about that. Well, you did. Your reply was, sorry about the lurgy, my bad. Anyway, so yeah, that was one gosh. of the conferences we were at together. Another one, and let, let's, let's just do this at the start because um, one person I just wanted to mention that we have closely in common, and he would mm. have made an incredible podcast. Oh, was, my goodness. Yes. mutual friend Caleb Meekins and we were together I think it was maybe New Wine in Ireland Northern Ireland it's one of those conferences yeah, yeah. and we shared uh, four I forget who the last lady with you was there were four of us in a, an Airbnb or a, whatever it was hostel yeah that's and, right and it was such a fun time and just so for those who don't know Caleb Meekins was uh, just a gem of a, a man who was killed in a car crash um, about two and a half years ago maybe and uh 
Yeah, give some reflections on Caleb. Yeah, Kay, oh my goodness. We uh, we kept colliding in the same things, Caleb and I. Basically, we were the same age stage with a very similar passion for Jesus and mission yeah. that meant we'd often end up speaking, being each other's counterpart at different things. Yeah. But I actually first met him when we were both students um, and we were both involved uh, with Fusion because Caleb went to the church as kind of like the home church of Fusion. And... Um, he came up to me and said, Miriam, I've got this wild idea, but um, I don't think it will work. Um, basically, I want to throw a New Year's Eve party that's with a difference for people that follow Jesus to call them into the new year to see a shift in culture, the church and in ourselves. But we don't have a venue and we're not known because it's never existed before. And, and basically no one was trusting them mm. to throw a party that would be responsible <laughs> for New Year as this new thing called shift. Yeah. And um, and by some like laughable favour in the kingdom of God, I basically I was what two months into working for Fusion, and I said I reckon if we mentioned Fusion, they'd let us do it. And so we asked this outrageous church that's like incredible building in St Paul's Hammersmith, mm -hmm. and uh, Caleb just name dropped Fusion and just went Fusion are coming, and they were like, oh, we love Fusion, yeah, you can throw a party here. And so we ended up, I remember having this conversation with Kay where I said, this has got to happen even if there's 12 of us praying on the street in the cold, yeah, or 500 in the best church building in London. And then it ended up being hundreds in this church building in London. But it began with this student conversation of him coming up to me and going, I've got this idea, how do you think it will work? And, I, and we just went, do you know what, whatever happens, even if it's on the street and there's no one that comes, we've got to start doing something to see a shift in our generation. So Caleb's that kind of visionary that you have a conversation with him and by the end of it, you've like given your money, your time, your name and everything just yeah. to give it a go. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I miss those conversations because they're the kind of conversations that they make you leap back into the arms of Jesus all over again with trust and vision and prayer and a lot of cheeky fun along the way. That was Caleb. Yeah. And I mean, I feel just heavy even talking about it now, but I, I think I looked, I'm 49, I'm guessing you're early 30s. He would have been 33 maybe. So, yeah, yeah, I'm 33. Right, yeah. so you're, you're a similar vintage. And I, as a sort of older duffer, was looking down at you too as two of the like key guys that I knew in the next generation saying, come on, and sort of just wanting to encourage you and cheer you along the way. So mm. yeah, bless, bless him, bless his family. That's been so I rough. do also remember, Simon, that you taught us you basically start, started um, telling us to do back stretches. We were both in our 20s when we went to Ireland and you were like, kids, start doing back stretches now because you'll pay for it if you don't later. At which point, <laughs> quite genuinely, you cleared the dining room table of this small Airbnb, which was essentially somebody's house, and you lay across it, like literally like spread eagle across this table and started doing these bizarre stretches in public and then made Caleb do them as well. So I just want to say that Airbnb situation, me and, it was my teammate Kira at the time, that's actually what you exposed us to, was like Pilates on a table in, I'd say, a, quite an elderly couple's house somewhere in Northern Ireland. Brilliant. Thanks for just completely lowering the tone and getting away yeah. from that holy moment. You know, um, my wife has repeatedly had to apologise for me for my back stretches in random places. And in Cardiff University, I got kicked out for lying on some fancy table doing it. Anyway, listen, let's get back to let's get back on point. Um, your story, your story. Um, tell us about your childhood. Anything dramatic there? 
Yeah, uh, dramatic. Well, I am dramatic as a person, but that's because <laughs> mum and dad put me in the theatre from a very young age. Mainly, I think they were slightly worried I was so hyperactive they didn't know what to do with all my energy. I got kicked out of ballet age four because um, I just ran, just ran and ran and ran. So um, they put me in gymnastics and theatre and that's how uh, they channeled that. But uh-huh. um Growing up, my dad my dad got ordained in uh, the Baptist church, and so we actually moved about a fair bit as pastor's kids, which can go one of two ways, really. But to be honest, um, I, I understood church to be a place of family, community, and participation from the youngest age. So I, I don't really remember a time where I didn't think church was putting out the chairs and tables in some capacity. Mm-hmm. So that actually set, set me up really well. I didn't have a lot of... Um, church trauma around being a pastor's kid I just understood that there were lots of people that weren't your actual grandparents that you spoke to like they were your grandparents and that you would put the tables out and you'd be the first ones there and last ones to leave and that's all part of um, making the family work so yeah we moved around uh, kind of more inner city London and then moved out into what felt at the time like living amongst cows it's now like commuter belt but at the time it was this tiny little town called tring where legitimately traffic jams were because the farmers moved the cows down the high street and so i I just remember calling back to my london friends and being like my garden is a field and there's cows everywhere but just because i I just didn't have any paradigm for like the space or the smallness of it but um Uh yeah i grew up in in small church really and um didn't didn't realize until kind of my adult life that um, dad had really been profoundly impacted by something called the Toronto Blessing and kind of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, both in the States and then the renewal of the church that happened over in the UK, stuff that kind of birthed out of HDB, Sandy Miller, the Alpha Course, the Vineyard, John Mm -hmm. Wimber, all of that kind of stuff. And so actually, even as a kind of seven, eight-year-old, Looking back, I didn't realise, but actually we went through church renewal when I was a child and uh, people being baptised in the spirit of God. And I remember my Sunday school teacher speaking in tongues and me thinking that was um, very intriguing and and kids getting visions um, in the middle of Sunday school. So there's things like that, which I now look back and would have language for it just because understanding a bit more of church history and our place in the story. But at the time that was... A, a sort of normal part of my childhood that I didn't really realise was an impactful part of UK church history, really. Mm-hmm. Um, was Jesus always uh, there for you? No dramatic encounter? Yeah, honestly, I thought I had a really boring story growing up. I actually made it a bit of a mission in my head when I realised that I'd never heard a sort of public story of I've known Jesus every day of my life. I honestly can't remember when he wasn't my best friend and that's been the best story I could live. I'd never heard that said out loud. Mm -hmm. I just heard the stories of growing up in the church, walked away as a teenager, made some mistakes, came back later type stories. Or, you know, you're really phenomenal dramatic ones about people being saved out of incredible trauma or incarceration or um, struggles with addiction or, you know. And so um, I just remember thinking, gosh, I don't have a story to tell because I honestly can't remember where I didn't, no, Jesus was with me, in me, and, and that we'd, we'd talk. Like, I couldn't remember when I, me and him didn't talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that it was only later on, um, I thought, uh, kind of in my later teens, I began to understand grace. Um, I, I, also, I also didn't really understand grace. Um, I thought it was, my middle name's Grace, and I thought I wasn't very graceful. I got kicked out of ballet, and so I didn't really resonate with what grace meant. Mm-hmm. And then uh, inevitably, as you start to realise um, the choices you've got in life and 
uh, and 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 even times when I would just deliberately, because I've always known Jesus, I could I would deliberately disobey him. Right. You know, like if I was deliberately walking away from the invitation of the Holy Spirit, I knew I was because I knew the Spirit. When I start to understand the magnitude of grace that it would be that I would spend my whole life knowing Jesus, the grace of God that I would somehow have managed to have not um, really sort of driven the car off the road. I just thought that is actually a phenomenal testimony, even though it's not the sex, drugs, rock and roll stuff that kind yeah. of get a standing ovations. It, it really is the story of I've loved him every day of my life. Mm. And of course I've been disobedient. And of course we've had our own struggles and, and it's our family life hasn't been perfect. It's not like everything's been um, smooth sailing by any means, but I've never not known Jesus as my best friend. Brilliant. And that is actually a testimony to being to introducing your kids from really early on that he is with you, he is for you, he is in you, he is he is part of your living, breathing life. I'm like so. Fair play to mum and dad. There's lots of things that they'd w- have probably wanted to do differently looking back, but I will be eternally grateful that mm. they there wasn't a day where I didn't know Jesus is 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 really here and really real. Yeah, um, wonderful. Which is which is big grace rather than boring. Boring, I now know. <laughs> Absolutely. So, I mean, were you as a teenager? I mean, you're a, you're a firebrand evangelist. Was that already happening? Were you already sharing Jesus very naturally with your classmates? Yeah, I I didn't know what an evangelist was, as in sure. I, I'd not really picked up on the definition of that or what that meant. So I used to think I was just a bit odd because <laughs> I was the kid that, for as long as I can remember, brought my friends to youth group and church. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I talk about Jesus very openly at school, had some sort of big moments of faith decision at school. For example, um, there was a vote uh, for who the happiest person in year nine was. And I won this vote in my mm. year group. And so then they asked me to write an article for the school newsletter about why I thought I was so happy. <laughs> and um, and I remember having a conversation with my mum because I was really nervous because I, I was like, I don't. I don't really know how to not mention Jesus, but yeah. that feels terrifying because that's like uh, your whole secondary school you're outing yourself to yeah. and you're still one of the younger end of things. And I remember mum mum sort of just saying to me, well, Miriam, there, you know, there are lots of reasons why you can f- sort of feel happy to be a, a, an upbeat sort of person, but it, it, it wouldn't be fully telling the truth if you didn't talk about Jesus in terms of y- you know that he really is the kind of key to that, don't you? So that is something to think about is to tell the truth. Mm. And so I wrote that article. I was so nervous the day it was being published because everyone got a printed copy in their hands to take home. And then all the primary schools got sent them as well. So it's just a terrifying moment of knowing there was going to be this little column by Miriam Swaffield that said, um, I think I'm happy um, because I know Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) um which was uh yeah it was terrifying and there was about a week of a bit of bullying uh, and and an overwhelming number of um letters and encouragements from people young and old in the school community who thanked me for um saying what i believe in i have teachers at school now who still i got an email from one of them the other day who still follow what i do and the conversation began because I confessed to being a Christian publicly and they came up to me and went, me too. Oh, fantastic. Um, and so, yeah, that was, there, there have been those moments where you're like, if you actually believe it, now's your time to say it out loud in such a way that there's no one in the school that's not going to know. Yeah. How do you feel? Like, is God faithful 
that this isn't going to mean you don't have any friends for the rest of your secondary school life, which was what it, that's what it felt like. Mm-hmm. I might lose my friends. And of course I didn't, yeah. but that's what it feels like sometimes when you put yourself out there like that. Yeah. Well, maybe even sharing that be an encouragement to some of us listening to, to put ourselves out there and encourage our children as well. I mean, it's, it, it can be a tough call, but uh, it's got to be worth it. Um, yeah. So yeah. did you go straight to university? No, I actually um, had my first experience of like what I felt like was proper failure in not getting into university. Um, I'd, again, just a good kid, done well at school. I was raised by teachers, right? So I'm bred for education, if nothing else, in my family. And so did all the right things, got all the right grades and things like that. And then um, just when I look around the universities, the ones I wanted to go to uh, were the ones that said no. Mm-hmm. And the ones that I had no intention of going to were the ones that said yes. And I reached this moment uh, at age 18 where I suddenly went, oh, my goodness, um, what I want or think may not always be what happens. And mm-hmm. that might not always be innately what Jesus thinks as well, um, <laughs> which is a, a, a very true for a lot of life. But um, quite a profound lesson to learn when as a teenager, you yeah. just think you and God probably agree on everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember um, there's a brilliant quote, I think it's by the author Anne Lamott, that um, my husband Ben loves to quote, where basically she says, um, you know that you've made God in your own image if he hates all the same people you do. And um, although that wasn't quite the extreme of the situation, I think if God never disagrees with you or never has another opinion outside of your own, then there is a chance that that you that you've created quite a wonderful world for yourself in which he's always just got a yes over your decisions your life and your hopes and dreams and there's lots of times where Jesus has said to me Miriam I actually I'm I'm with you what would you like to do and there's definitely been times where it's been very clear um locked doors shut doors and just outright no and um the university moment all my friends went to university I watched my whole friendship group go mm-hmm. and I felt distinctly that I needed to wait and not say yes to somewhere that I hadn't got peace about and to reapply and to let all my friends go to uni and to take this unplanned year out and to reassess. And that um, that profoundly marked my life, not only in getting over myself around grades and achievement and a bit of that idol, I think, died that day. Um, it was also the first time I really felt God speak directly to me through like somebody praying for me and giving me a word that had actually never happened to me growing up. It happened to my siblings, happened for my dad. I don't remember that ever happening for me and it was just at the right time. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, taught, taught theatre to kids and things. Ended up um, serving at a, a mission organisation that our church had partnered with for years. So I went out and served alongside some incredible women in South Africa for about four months. And, and that was actually when the Zimbabwe uh, refugee crisis was happening, kind of um, a huge flood of people needing to escape Zimbabwe across the borders to South Africa. So ended up basically getting a kind of frontline picture of what's happening in refugee crisis over there at the time. Mm-hmm. And then um, apply, basically found a course that never existed before. It was the first year they'd ever done it in York. Um, and I saw it, I'd never even looked at York, saw it, read the course description and said to my mum, oh, um, I'm going there. Mm-hmm. Um, applied, got in. I honestly uh, said no to every other university, even the ones that said yes and said no before. Yeah. I, I was just like, no, this is it. This was the right thing, right time, right place, and it hadn't existed the year before. And if I hadn't have gone to York, um, I, I, uh, so much of what's happened to me yeah. wouldn't have happened yeah. because of the people, because of the 
the calling that came out of that time mm. and space. Um, and it came through not getting in. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, well, hindsight is, is great to see how God does weave the tapestry of our lives, isn't it? And jobs mm-hmm. j- jobs that you don't get that you wanted, university that you don't get that you wanted, all, all that sort of stuff. Um, so the York right. chapter, critical in the, the history of Miriam Swanson. So go on, why was it so important? Um, honestly, partly, um, from a church perspective, I'd never been to a church that I wasn't so-and-so's daughter. And so just to turn up to a new city with no context as to dad being a church leader or mum being like a head teacher of the local school or anything like that was really healthy. So I got to be kind of anonymous and pick a church. I actually, classic evangelist stuff, I, I picked a church based on where I thought my housemates would go to church, um, which meant I ended up in a little church plant in, in a gym two minutes from my campus mm-hmm. whose residence where all my mates were. Uh, I didn't know it was the Church of England because it was in a gym. Mm-hmm. Um, had never been in the Church of England before. So uh, that accidentally changed my life because I'm now ordained in the Church of England, which oh, was you? an act of um, bizarre obedience. Yeah, I'm not even sure that story makes sense yet. But they I let you in. Oh, I know. Just barely, to be honest. Goodness gracious. But uh, in York, I yeah basically came across a, this church and it was there that they identified and did something with the call that had been on my life for a long time that no one knew what to do with. Essentially, I'd grown up in a church that didn't at the time um, have women leading or preaching or teaching or anything like that in a sort of senior capacity or up front. And so I just didn't know that would be part of my story because I'd never seen it. So I never had an imagination for it. I honestly thought I'd be teaching theatre in prisons. That was my aim. Right. And then um, walked into this church with my housemates who didn't know Jesus. I one day got asked to do the Bible reading and the church leader took one look at me and went, so you know you're called to preach, don't you? And I said, well, you know, funnily, I've been told that for years, but I, I don't actually know what to do with it because mm-hmm. I didn't. I'd, yeah. uh, people have been prophesying that over me who didn't even believe women could teach. Yeah. And they were like, <laughs> it was very odd. And then they said, well, look for an opportunity. And, I, and in my head, I thought, I've heard that so many times. It doesn't matter. Like, I'll just let that go. And then, lo and behold, they were like, right, you're going to become one of the regular teachers because that's the way you'll learn. And so they basically home grew me in becoming like a Bible teacher at at 21 as a second year student. Um, And that's transformed my life. Yeah. Um, And yeah, and just even like York became home for the next six years after university. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was it was at university that I learned that um, you didn't have to go overseas to do mission. Yeah. And that there was a place for evangelists here. And I really struggled in my first term to stay in university because I just come from like serving a, a refugee crisis. And then I'm sitting there learning about Shakespeare. And I was like, this is so discordant with what's going on in the world. This can't be useful. Mm-hmm. And then I really felt like God spoke to me around, do you think I love your friends any less? Or do you think I have any less vision for the campus than I do for uh, Pretoria in South Africa? or refugees from Zimbabwe, uh, or some of the friends that you made out there. And I thought, well, no, I know that's not true. Like, I know Jesus loves my housemates as, you know, as much as anybody far, far away. Mm-hmm. And so that, that basically helped sort my theology out around thinking mission was somewhere else yeah. than where your two feet are. And, and that is obviously will shape the rest of my days. Mm-hmm. I realising you don't have to go somewhere else to share Jesus with your friends. Yeah, and of course, uh, Luke and Hannah Smith were there, and they're part of the key people in, in fusion. So, was this fusion was that straight away what you got stuck into? Well, 
because because the way fusion works, fusion's model is we only work through local churches. So we help local churches reach university students, which means um, you don't actually, as a student, come across fusion. Like fusion isn't on campus. Mm-hmm. They're not running fusion groups. And when you go to a local church, you don't know that behind the scenes, the reason that local church is, I hope, brilliant at welcoming and loving and discipling students is because they're being trained, encouraged and resourced by Fusion. You don't actually know about Fusion. So it took until my second year of university to realise the church I was part of, that at the time Luke Smith was like the volunteer student worker of, I didn't realise he worked for Fusion and that Fusion was basically responsible for how well G2 was doing at reaching students. Right. Until Luke said, will you come to Leeds and pray for some student workers? And I thought, yeah, I'll go to a city and pray for some people. Got on a train, went to Leeds... And there's 25 student workers, all from different local churches in this little gathering. And Luke just asked me to pray over them as a student evangelist. And I remember thinking, well, that's an absolutely phenomenal idea. Like, of course, you should gather as many different local churches to all reach the city together. Like, what a no brainer. So then I found out, oh, that's like Fusion's thing is their heart is local churches working together for the sake of the city and the campus. Oh, like brilliant unity, brilliant idea for sharing mission and encouragement. And then I saw this guy, Rich Wilson, get up to speak and... um, uh, and he spoke, actually, I mean, this is actually quite profound thinking about what's happened now. Hmm. But when I first met Rich, he got up and said that his daughter, Lauren, who was two years old at the time, had just started treatment for very, very aggressive cancer. And he stood up with sort of tears in his eyes and said, basically, I don't want to be here. I, I kind of want to quit because this is what's going on with my two-year-old. Yeah. But then he basically just declared, I have to keep showing up for this generation. Because if, you know, if my family is going through this much struggle, now is not the time to quit on believing that something is possible in this generation and that there is more life to come. And so I'm showing up here today in between hospital appointments to sort of testify to this. And I sat there in my seat and thought, well, firstly, I'll follow that man anywhere. What Mm. a profoundly humble, marked by grief and grace disciple that is yes and secondly i started giving financially diffusion on the spot because i thought any ministry that's being led by somebody uh who's paying the cost like that and is bringing churches together like this i want to serve yeah so i basically took from that moment any opportunity to serve the wider mission of fusion as a student that i could not having a clue that that would lead to me being the first sort of full-time student mission developer for them and that Rich would still be my boss today and we'd still be on this journey of kind of grief and grace together. So, yeah, yeah, that, again, that profoundly disrupted my narrative of becoming a teacher in one sense, but what a remarkable family to uh, journey alongside and to be part of the infusion. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the last time we did see each other, you you flew across to speak at, so Lauren did pass away because she graduated to glory. Yeah. Um, earlier on this year and you spoke very well and Rich and Ness who I was at university with same year um, they just spoke incredibly movingly and Rich is worth them absolute stars and uh, in, due, yeah. in, due, yeah. in due course we'll do a podcast with them but that clearly that's just, in their grief journey that's just not a time right now but we bless them yeah okay so um so you're you're fully fledged sign up for Fusion. I picture you bombing around in a 1972 orange sort of a camper van to all sorts of campuses. T- 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 tell us about that. Yeah, that um, was mad. Actually, I think uh, I, I've <laughs> classic cars are brilliant, but they're just not that idyllic in practice. Is what I learned. <laughs> like I had this idea of um, I basically Fusion was starting to work. 
in many more churches. When I first joined Fusion, there were less than 200 connection churches that were signed up to say, yes, we want to welcome students. And in our first couple of years, we really experienced this tipping point Mm -hmm. where churches were signing up in their hundreds to work with students. Basically, a a seminal bit of research had also come out around the missing generation. And they were basically asking the question, where are the 18s to 30s? And obviously, we know where lots of them are uh, because they all go to university. Um, And so the church started realising, oh, gosh, we've kind of tagged out of our part in the story. We kind of assumed that uh, on-campus ministries would do it all. And of course, you can't that's not fair. Mm -hmm. And the church were kind of missing this big bit of generational discipleship. So they started en masse signing up to Fusion. And that that led me to basically realizing we have a church in every single university location in the country, but we've never visited them, not half of them. And so I thought, well, really, when you should go and visit, pray on the ground, listen to their stories, and at least say, look, hey, we're with you. And so I thought, you know, what would be fun is if we got a sort of travel prayer room, and we got this kind of old school VW camper van. What if we got an orange one because Fusion's orange and we just went to every single university location on the map and I could fill the van with students. We could use it as a prayer room. We could do nightclub ministry out the back of it, out the little kitchen. Love it. Like I wonder what would happen. So basically fundraised for a camper van and um, it was so good for my prayer life because honestly I had to pray out loud every single time I wanted to try and start that thing, particularly during the winter. <laughs> I've literally, let, I've never prayed for an inanimate object so much in my life. I'm like laying on hands. The heating broke in the first two months. It was absolutely freezing. Oh, the windscreen wash broke. So you had to sort of wind down your windows by hand and throw bottles of water across the windscreen. Oh, we did that in Africa all the time, but you don't expect it in England. The, the, the gears broke mid getting onto the motorway, like the thing just started accelerating and then everything wouldn't stop. And I'm like, I had to turn the whole machine off and pull it into a bus stop just before the slip road. Like, it's, it, I can't, I, I went into the back of a van, but I was going slow enough that I just bounced off the back of this white van. And I just got out and apologised. I literally prayed out loud, like, Lord Jesus, like, please let, let this be fine. I had a whole van of students got out of the van and the blokes were just laughing at me. They I couldn't believe that all these basically these women were just oh, in this dear. orange van had gone straight into the back anyway absolutely atrocious but um did every university location so i think 68 locations we drove to in the space of two years which of course means one year because the universities aren't in half the year prayed yeah. on the campuses got up to scotland got across to northern ireland on the ferry Oh, my goodness. Um, ended up in the Holy Lands in Northern Ireland, sort of a, a, an orange van, which I didn't know was so politicised out yeah, there. dear. Full of Catholic rugby players singing, dancing and eating bacon. We did, like, bacon sandwiches out the back of the church. Oh, good gracious. So, yeah, bit of an adventure, but um, a great way to spend a couple of years of your 20s um, in an orange camper van praying with students. And I like, had really cool moments, like in Liverpool... It started raining and there was a girl having a cigarette, but it was raining. And so I sort of said to her, look, you can't bring the cigarette in, but if you want to get out in the rain, you can come sit in the van if you like. And so she came and sat in the van with me and there was a student worker that I was meeting with on the campus. And she sat there and bizarrely just sort of said, uh, you know, thanks. Thanks for sort of sheltering me. Um, And then randomly said something like, I've been thinking about going to church, but I've never been to church in my life. Do you know any churches in Liverpool I could go to? And so I was literally like, oh, um, this is Jack. Yeah. He is a church leader. You're welcome. You know, just really funny things like that where it happened because of rain yeah. that she ends up going to church or 
even on Freshers' Week, like week one, the van broke, as in like the alternator went, like it fully broke on my first day of the road trip. Um, and at the same time, I mean, talk about like the battles and blessings right alongside each other. Mm-hmm. The van breaks. One of the greatest, the biggest supporters of the van who'd like lived, given me a third of the money to buy the van, his son gets rushed into hospital with a, a an illness that would kill him actually within the week. Mm. All happened in the same 24 hours. That this, The biggest partner of the van's son gets hospitalised. The van breaks. I get into London on the train because I can't even move the van. And um, day one on campus, serving alongside a local church and every nation church in Queen Mary Uni, um, at meet a master's degree student who's there on week one. And within an hour, he's given his life to Jesus. And I just remember thinking, like, if this is how the road trip starts... Yeah. With like one young man hospitalized as another young man gives his life to Jesus and the van explodes. Like, this isn't just a jolly, like it's it's a cool, iconic vintage car. It's gonna be cool to fill it with students. But like there is no neutral ground on campus. Like you are walking into something. Mm. And so that kind of sobered me up as well as sort of prepared me to be like, just stay awake, do you know? Because as much as it sounds fun to drive around an orange van, there's actually quite a lot going on when you turn up to a ground in prayer, following Jesus and, and offer life. Like it's not, it's not without contests, you know? Yeah, yeah. Hey folks, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I'm loving the response we're getting from across the world. It's, it's just wonderful to see how encouraging and inspiring it is being and hitting the spot. Listen, if you are being blessed by it, I'd love it. Basically, this happens under the auspices of our ministry, Great Lakes Outreach, which works in the poorest and the hungriest country in the world, which is Burundi. We're having an incredible impact in the toughest of circumstances. We want to carry on supporting those local folks doing a great job. So if you wanted to, greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash inspired you could make a donation there i'd so appreciate it also it's word of mouth isn't it so gossip this these podcasts to other people get them to subscribe give us a great review absolutely wonderful so grateful to you so that's greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash inspired if you want to do a monthly a couple of quid a month or, or a one-off donation we'd be incredibly grateful all right now let's get back to the podcast Oh, this might be an unusual question, but I mean, I observing you, basically you, you got sort of catapulted in terms of the, the English Christian scene onto a main stage of every flipping conference going. And, and <laughs> sorry. So sort of, sort of in our very sort of small world become a sort of celebrity. Um, and, and I suppose a question for you is that, cause I've observed and I've been relieved to see, but, and again, mm. praying for you sort of, what am I, 16 years older, whatever, having maybe faced similar stuff. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, mean I remember mm-hmm. the main stage of New Wine with 19,000 people when I was 26 and thinking, and, and how do we stay humble on that journey? Right. And uh, you, you, you know, you, you have stayed humble as far as I can see. And that's encouraging, isn't it? What do you put that down to? It's mm, good. Well, I'm, and, and I've appreciated you've randomly sent me messages from time to time over the course of this whole thing where you've just, ask good questions and prayed and and partly that sort of embodies a little bit of it where honestly I mean I wouldn't say I'd I would have used the language of a vow of stability at the age of 21 but in practice essentially choosing to stay uh local 
in a small group of friends. I lived in a community house mm -hmm. for six years with a, with um, a kind of my parents' generation and then another person in my age group, like same thing, you living in community. Yeah. Basically, I, I made a few big life choices really early on before I could get too busy to make good choices, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. I wrote a list of values. I literally put the title in my journal, things that I don't want to change no matter how busy ministry could get. Mm -hmm. And I did that on year one of working for Fusion, because you're right, I basically went from, I've never been to a Christian conference to main staging it within two months of working with Fusion. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't really, I'd never aimed for it, so I wasn't, that helped. I hadn't had the exposure to know that that was a thing. So I wasn't aiming for that at all, but it did mean that from having just turned, yeah, just before my 23rd birthday, my first two months of graduating, I, I taught main stage at a big youth conference and have been doing that ever since. And so that acceleration from my first preaching in a local church two years earlier to being that was, was fast, but that had been 20 years of not aiming for that and more mm. anonymity in that sense, mm. followed by I chose to stay in small, gritty, hands-on local church. And you can't get too big, too funny or too clever if you're helping lead local church Yeah, because it isn't glamorous. It's actually quite hard. And so... Yeah, I, you know, was volunteering, wasn't paid by the church, never have been, leading on the local church team from when I was 21 onwards, really. And that kept me grounded because I'm putting out tables and chairs and doing the kids' work more than I was ever preaching at local church. Mm -hmm. uh, secondly, I lived in community and I didn't swap friendship groups when I got more and more contacts all over the country. Actually, I just stayed committed to a local church, committed to local people, like my, my mentors, like Luke and Hannah Smith, committed yeah. to their family, committed to living in community. I, I made sure that I was always in the local more than I was somewhere else. That's yeah. still true to this day, that I won't speak anywhere else or do more for other people than I would do at home. Because right. that's not, that's getting really imbalanced around being a practitioner and just being somebody that talks about it. Mm -hmm. um, so I just wrote a load of values that I kept to, even values around fun and exercise and hanging out with my mates that don't know Jesus. And that's always been a real big thing for me as well as making sure that I keep my friends that literally don't know or care what I do. Yeah. Like even if I try and explain what I do, they don't understand it. Yeah. But there's something really refreshing about that because they honestly, they don't think it's a big deal at all. Yeah. They don't even know what you're talking about. And that's really helpful. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a, that's a really helpful answer. Um, Listen, uh, so much I want to cover, but uh, I, lo I love the fusion escape and pray stuff. Have you got any juicy stories? For that? <laughs> that was, I was just, I just had a meeting just now where we we're talking um, with some guys in Spain and some guys in Prague. And um, I was just trying to explain in like two minutes what escape and pray was, because that's um, how I made friends with people in the Czech Republic. But basically... Fusion accidentally nearly became an, a kind of travel agency holiday company, <laughs> but like on steroids. So we had to actually stop it because it was becoming way too big and successful and it really isn't our core business. But essentially, we wanted to stir the students um, into acts of bravery and courage, right? Because student, Christian students are a minority mm -hmm. in the UK. Yeah. You, you can often account for less than 1% to 2% of students that are actively engaged in local church. And so we really need the ones that know Jesus to be brave about him. And so we're like, what can we do that would sort of accelerate and activate bravery and courage and mission? And so we did this thing called Escape and Pray, where basically you signed up to Fusion, uh, a team of four mates. You gave us £100 each in your passport details. In return, we told you to get to an airport at a certain time and date. 
When you arrived at the airport, you opened an orange envelope that revealed plane tickets to a mystery European destination, which was a university city somewhere in mainland Europe. And you were sent there for 48 hours with nothing. Like as in, we really based it on Luke 10, which meant we were like, you can, you know, we don't mind you taking a backpack, but essentially you're not taking extras of anything. Loads of groups didn't take phones. Loads of groups didn't take credit cards. Or we gave them 20 euros each for cash. That isn't enough to get you accommodation yeah. and food for two days. And basically when, do, can we live scripture? Can we believe that, like Jesus literally told his followers, like don't take extra stuff and rely on hospitality as you go with blessing, which I love because again, it deconstructs this whole, we've got all the answers, we've got all the resources and the tools, you need us stuff. Yeah. Jesus literally went, go weaker, go with less and you will therefore come in on this e more equal territory of you have to share the table because you need feeding, yeah. even as you offer the peace of Christ. And so we basically sent out literally hundreds of students across mainland Europe to prayer walk campuses to speak peace and blessing, to announce the kingdom of God, to find as many churches as they could to, um, to bless, to pray for, to share the work of fusion in and just to see what happened. And it's that kind of stuff that that in some ways captures the essence of fusion. Like, yes, we, in many ways, we train resource and we're very strategic around sustainably walking with churches, but also we're mega fun. Yeah. <laughs> and we do some things that you look back and go, I'm actually amazed that we didn't get in trouble for that. Like yeah. some students slept in like palace, like accommodation and some honestly slept in bushes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it really was, it really was insane. And that but, could um, be a whole podcast or book yeah. in itself, couldn't it? Oh God, my God's goodness. Provision. Yeah. It's like straight out the gospels in some way. Some of those stories you're like, brilliant. Like that really was a kind of loop 10 go and, go and see what the kingdom of God is like when you just go empty handed, but a full heart, go for it. Like yeah. phenomenal time. Mm. And I was over those years. I mean, praying for you because you're high profile. You're, a, if I'm allowed to say, you're, you know, a, a pretty lady. You've got a, a very, you know, just difficult doing that. I, I reckon single, um, <laughs> and you know the, the complexities that come with with that. Uh, on the road the whole time and so I guess one of my big prayers was Lord keep her on track and may she find a good feather mm. to do life with but you fully embraced the singleness journey didn't you and uh, can, you, can you talk into singleness in a, in a obviously in a positive light because people you know it gets, yes. it gets a bad rap doesn't it and we want to say absolutely not well that's it I think partly the church we really need to be getting better at it being normal for people to not be married partly because that is statistically more and more true yeah partly because if people are coming to know Jesus later on in life like it isn't actually people aren't getting married in their 20s in the same way people in the Christian bubble think oh my gosh uh, I'm 24 I'm not married I should start panicking and don't get me wrong my parents were married at age 21 24 do you know mm. but that actually isn't even the norm generally and it's not actually the norm in christendom either but um there is a lot of fear and a sense of sort of scarcity lack or inadequacy or even judgment around in some way if you're not married you're in some way maybe lesser or not chosen or something must be wrong with you and obviously none of that's true and um how how dare we even think that we would say that about jesus <laughs> our yeah. unmarried uh, one that we follow but um, I'm just really passionate about um, pe people knowing it is actually um, fine to find fullness of life and the secret of contentment not married. Um, because firstly, that lots of us will go through whole seasons of not being married, uh, for example, or like childhood and teenage years, <laughs> uh, divorced, widowed, um, 
there are various stories that will happen where it will be so detrimental to uh, the narrative of the church if we think you're any lesser not married yeah. but also just um the phenomenal opportunity to live in community and cultivate deep deep friendships and to give myself to friendship uh to serving others to to, to some wonderful experiences of of being able to travel more D- doing that camper van thing you couldn't do married mm. let alone with a kid not not in the way that we were doing it filling the car with students i am so grateful for my 20s yeah. did i want to get married Yes, I did feel like that was part of my story. Did I think that that was a guarantee? No, of course not. I didn't feel entitled because there are so many wonderful people that haven't had marriage or children be part of their story who would have longed for it. Uh, Do I understand why that happens like that? No. And that can be incredibly painful. And don't get me wrong, there's been incredibly painful times where I've been like, gosh, like having to grieve what I thought was a relationship that would lead to that story. I'd always wanted to be a mum and recognise, hey, Miriam, that might not happen. I don't think God says, hey, I have 100% promises to you. I think he said he's promised me himself yeah. and his presence. I, I think the gospel isn't so small that Jesus would die for us to have a spouse. I think it is far more cosmically significant than that. Yeah. And and so working out, just thriving in in being single, thriving and living in community, thriving and being like wildly generous with your salary because you can be, stuff like that. I'm such a big advocate for us making sure that our single mates are in families and feel no less, but in fact, we are all strengthened by having um, kingdom community. And and you yourself know, you live in community yourself. Like we're better for it. um, And, and nobody is lesser because of their relationship status. Of course not. We wouldn't say that about Jesus. And I do believe that he is enough. Yeah. Um, But it does mean that we have a response around kingdom family that's, that's got to be bigger than biology if everyone is going to not feel lonely or lesser when society sort of screams another message like we've got to have a better story available yeah yeah we've um i mean that's so well put i have loved always pretty much particularly in terms of modeling stuff to our kids having someone living with us and we've just said goodbye recently to jody linton shout out to jody yeah she's amazing as an evangelist and um, and she um was absolutely fabulous. We just welcomed Holly a few hours later to join us. So it's it's just been brilliant to do life together and embrace the ups and downs together. Now another yeah. thing, I don't want to sound like a real psychophant and blowing stuff up your whatever. But um, <laughs> I also uh, what I loved was when you, you know, bear in mind for those that are not in the UK, York is one of those cities that's known for being really beautiful and lovely. And you chose to leave the cushiness and I mean you would have been offered jobs or <clears throat> people would have bitten your hand off to for you to join them at these mega churches and 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 be on staff there uh, and you chose to go to I hope Middlesbrough people won't be offended to say you know a slightly n- less obviously attractive place to go and move to um you know in a deprived area so why did you do that oh honestly I when I left to, for America, the thing that made me cry my eyes out was leaving Middlesbrough. Oh. Even though, obviously, I've got, you know, 30 years of friendships in places with people. But the place that wrecked my heart to leave was my funny little street in the TS1 postcode of this bizarre little town in the northeast of England. Um, basically, th- there were a few kind of reasons behind why I think it was... Um, it, it, it's permanently transformed and marked my life. Um, 
living uh moving to Middlesbrough and living in that community um and there, there's a few kind of reasons behind it and I don't want to sound kind of hyper spiritual because it really wasn't like that like I didn't hear this sort of booming voice around it or anything like that basically uh, I'd always had a bit of an itch around not living in white middle class bubbles mm-hmm. um which uh, which we can so very easily in our society can you know the the UK is you know incredibly um, can be incredibly divided around class and so can the church and I and I knew that I was poorer for that I knew that I was missing something of the kingdom of God and the way Jesus is in the world to be in quite a homogenous setting and York is, is incredibly beautiful and incredibly comfortable and a wonderful city to be trained in but I knew it wasn't to settle in forever mm-hmm. and a, a few things collided at once including honestly disappointment and missed expectations and thinking I was moving somewhere else and a few different things happened where I was like a a relationship broke down where I was like oh gosh I sort of thought that's where the story was going Mm. and that this is what it would look like and then suddenly I'm I'm not back to square one but I've basically got a blank canvas again and I felt like Jesus said to me Miriam you're all right you are still leaving York but I'm actually going to let you choose where you live whereas originally to move if I'd stayed in this relationship it would have been I'd had to have kind of gone where they were already Mm -hmm. and um and I said, well, I, I think I choose Middlesbrough then. <laughs> like, I think I, ch- I, I basically went, where does no, where, <laughs> sounds bad, but I mean, the Middlesbrough lots say this themselves. Like everyone moves <laughs> from Middlesbrough to York, not York to Middlesbrough. Yeah. So I did, I did the opposite flow of traffic. Yeah. And I just went, where do people not want to move where there is a campus that hasn't got a lot of resource for student mission? Like, wh- and I was reading the story of the Good Samaritan and it, this will sound silly because it sounds very sort of practical, but basically... From Jerusalem to Jericho, there's this road that runs northeast from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's about an hour away. And um, that's where the Good Samaritan story is set, where the guy gets robbed and beaten up on on the highway going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And honestly, an hour northeast from York um, is Middlesbrough. Hmm. And um, it's got a campus of 20,000. It's got local churches around it, but not a lot of resourcing goes on there from any kind of student mission ministry perspective. And lots of people obviously don't try and move there. Um, It's ex-industrial, so there's lots of generational unemployment now because of the mines and the factories closing. And so there's lots of injustice that's happened to that community um, that you're still feeling the effect of. And I got a couple of my um, prayer warrior mates and we prayer walked the town because it's small so you can actually like walk around all the main student areas. And my values, I basically said, the criteria for moving is I need to live somewhere where I can walk to the church, to the campus and to the station. Because I need to be able to travel for my job. I need my neighbours won't be able to have cars, so they need to be able to walk to church if they're ever to be involved. In, if I ever invited them to something, and I need to be able to walk uh, to where students are. And so, uh, yeah, prayer walk this area. We all had the exact same conviction for the exact same area, which I didn't know was the most notorious area. Of course not. Hmm. Literally, when when I uh, the estate agent kind of walked around with me at the places that she was showing me to rent, there was this one place, and she went. Um, I'm not even going to show you this house. And I said, why? And she said, I wouldn't walk here, so you can't live here. Like, it's too dangerous. Right. And so we went a few streets down, and then this this one house, I just felt like it was for me. In fact, um, you know when um, the spies, Joshua sends out the spies, and they go into the land, and then they come mm. back and go like, you know, there's fruit, but there's giants in the land. Yeah. I had this whole scripture around there's going to be really there's going to be big fruit and big giants hmm. and um and then so i was looking had this kind of spies in the land type type thing and then the house 
the next door to the house that I rented, um, they changed the number seven to 007. So it was literally <laughs> like, brilliant, I'm going to live next to the spy's house. Yeah. And um, I moved into this street and uh, I literally said, what does it mean to literally love your neighbour? That That is my aim. I'm going to serve the local parish church. So I did, just rocked up to my nearest local parish church and I served the evening service, which was full of students and uh, people experiencing homelessness and a whole mixture of people. And I absolutely fell in love with it. I didn't even tell them I preached. It took six months until a woman realised she had a DVD of me at home. Walked up to me <laughs> as I was serving coffee and went, Miriam, I've got a DVD of you at home. Should I bring it in? Should we play it for the church? I think they'd want to know. And I literally went, no, <laughs> don't tell them. Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm much more interested in raising local voices than mine. So yeah. I was like, don't tell them that I do that. I'm just going to do the coffee. Um, and I, and I literally love my neighbours. And to this day, uh, obviously still friends with them, just took my daughter Kaya back to visit. And for the first time, she was old enough to like play with the kids on the street like we used to do every evening out on, out on our doorsteps in Borough in this really eclectic street, which has got like a blend of like refugees, locals, those uh, unemployed right now those kind of transient housing community like the, it's a whole blend and um yeah i learned hospitality from my muslim neighbors they're the ones that knocked on my door with food they're the ones that showed up when i had been away traveling with work the mama next door to me would show up with a plate of curry and she's um, like i can see you've been away i know you live alone here's um, dinner wow like i mean it's just yeah it is it's the place that still gets me when i go back to visit i still just get emotional even seeing that skyline at teesside i just think the kingdom of god belongs uh, to those, uh, to the poor, to, uh, on the margins, to those, to those that in the eyes of the world haven't yet made it. And I'm like, I just think Jesus has this preference for hanging out in the places that um, society would forget or judge. I think he's just got a real soft spot. Um, yeah, it changed my life. I hope, I hope I never lose that itch to be around people not like me because I see more of Jesus in them. Yeah. Oh, that's gold. Hey, listen, um, last question, and we've run out of time, basically. So I just want to say, is there anything I should have asked that I didn't ask that you want to communicate before we close? Oh, that's kind. Um, I don't know, really. I mean, um, from a fusion perspective, if anyone's listening and they are in a local church or near a campus or they have a, a child or young person going off to university, please just check out fusionmovement.org because we exist to equip young people to go to university as followers of Jesus and find local churches. And we help churches reach the campus. So like, no matter whether you've got one student, no students or 200, we'd love to be your friends. So from a fusion perspective, that'd be brilliant. And from a life perspective, you know, the, the story's still being written. We're in a brand new season, like marriage, baby, and pioneering a new ministry in the States. What a wild thing to do all at once and during a pandemic. So I feel like I'm learning all over again, Simon. So still very much <laughs> cover your prayers and your friendship because, uh, yeah, you've done a bit of that sort of thing before as well. And it's it's a completely different ball game out here, but I, I'm sure it's good for me because it's back to kind of anonymity and starting from scratch. And um, that's all very healthy as well, I think. Mm. Oh, Miriam, it's been brilliant. I've loved it. I've loved it. And I'm sure uh, everyone listening has really enjoyed it as well. Um, God bless you, sister. We're cheering you on. And folks, if you've enjoyed it, which I presume you have, uh, can you give us a great review on Spotify, iTunes? It just means, well, more people get to 
hear about it in terms of whatever the algorithm we don't even understand how it works but it works <laughs> and um, do be in touch check out fusionmovement.org we'll put that in the blurb and um, I want to thank Adam Thomas Steer for the editing and Mike Sandman for the mixing if you want to be in touch with me simongilbert.com any of the social media platforms but it's a massive thank you to Miriam God bless you thanks mate brilliant and to you guys we've got another fantastic guest next week I love it so inspiring so encouraging does what it says on the tin I'll see you next week in the meantime God bless you and toodaloo 